Psalm chapter 16. If you were here last week, you know that the Spirit of God brought us here. And we, uh, we had us just, a, just a wonderful service, a wonderful just encounter with the Lord in His presence and praise and worship and really the whole service. And, you know, uh, He seemed to emphasize throughout that service this scripture in Psalm 16. And I think, and I've been guilty of this myself, that, you know, preachers and Christians alike, the Holy Ghost can say something. He can put, his, put a special anointing on a specific scripture or emphasis or thought. And then we're quick to move on to something else because our, our attention spans are, are too short, you know. But when, when the Holy Spirit puts the shot, we, we ought to take some time, right? And drill down and dig deep and, and get the full import of what He is endeavoring to get over to us. And of course, we, we kind of lit up over a few services talking about some different elements about the move of the Spirit. And, uh, you know, I read my prophecies fairly often. I, often I keep those in a journal and, and um, you know, I can see the many times where the Spirit of God has talked to me about more of a move of the Spirit in my own personal life and my ministry. And I want that. And, uh, but you, you ought to want that for yourself. There ought to be more of a move, a manifestation, an experience of God. I, I hope you're not, as a Christian, practicing religion. Because that is dry and dead. And, li- and I, I just have no tolerance for it. I, I, don't, I don't, you know, I, I'm not into it. I, I am, I'm in this thing because I, I, I fell in love with a person. <laughs> His name is Jesus. And... Uh, Anyway, praise God. So we're going to spend some more time on this. And the Lord's been helping me in my study, and we're going to have a, have a good time in the next few moments. So in uh, Psalm 16, verse 11, here the psalmist says, Thou will show me, you will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand there are pleasures evermore. Amen. Now go over to Psalm 36. Psalm 36. Really, the Psalms have much to say about the presence of God. And it'll be, it'll be said by the psalmist in different ways. In Psalm 36, beginning in verse 7, it says, How excellent is thy loving kindness, O God! Therefore the children of men put their trust under the shadow of your wings. They shall be abundantly satisfied with the fatness of thy house. It goes back to what I was making mention of earlier. All that's in God's house, including himself, has already been freely given to us. And God wants us to be abundantly satisfied with the fullness, the prosperity, the fatness of his house. Amen. Of all that is available in him and around him. And it says, and you shall, uh, and you shall make them, that's us, drink of the river of your pleasures. <laughs> For with thee, or you could say in your presence, is the fountain of life. In your light we shall see. Light. Isn't that good? In your light, we shall see light. Hallelujah. 
You know, in the Old Testament, the presence of God was largely inaccessible. It was shut up behind the veil in the tent of meeting or later on the tabernacle, you know, the, the temple that Solomon built. And of course, it had an outer court, an inner court, and a holy of holies. And in the holy of holies, there was a large veil. The veil in the temple at the time of Jesus, they say, was, I don't know, thicker than a phone, a phone book and more than 20 feet to the top. And when Jesus said, it is finished, you remember that an angel came and rent or tore that. No, no man could have done it. Because obviously they would have done it from the bottom to the top, yeah. right? Yeah. But it said that angel came and, and stood at the top, way up there. You know, 20 feet is that, you know, this, this painted line right there, that's, that's 20 feet. So that's the height of the veil. And those soldiers that crucified Jesus and everybody that was up there on the, on the mount, they could see line of sight into the temple, and they saw that phone book thick rent veil torn from the top to the bottom. And the presence of God that has been shut up and inaccessible to mankind and to God's people for thousands of years said no more. No more. But instead, because of the death, burial, and resurrection, the presence of God, the Shekinah glory of God, you know, that was so, it was seen in the Old Testament as a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. It was carried uh, in the Ark of the Covenant. And you remember just a single touch, just a single touch by a man who reached up and touched it out of order and in irreverence, dropped dead. The very presence of God that came down on that mountain, Mount Sinai, that caused that mountain to quake and shake and literally caused the rock to melt like wax, <laughs> came on the inside of every person who has received Jesus as their Lord. <laughs> Our bodies have literally become the temple of the Holy Ghost. I think that's maybe the greatest miracle. How in the world can we contain, right, this presence? The presence of God. That presence of God came down and, and the voice of God came out of that cloud back in Exodus and beckoned Moses to come up on the mount Right? And that voice spoke and that place shook and all those Israelites said, we are no, no way. There is no way. We are not going up there. You can go up there. We are not. And God said, they are right. You need to listen to them. Build up a rock hedge at such a distance. Keep all the animals. Keep everyone away. I mean, we're talking about power. Yes. <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen. Now, I don't know the implications of the God who created and sustaining the universe living on the inside of your flesh ought to blow you out. Right? Wow. I mean, one of the things I like to imagine is the very same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the very same spirit who hovered over the waters in the beginning. And when the word of God was given, he brought all of creation back into a habitable state. Glory. We're talking about power. Yes. And he's living on the inside of me. And Romans 8, 11 says, if this very same spirit that quickened the body of Jesus, raised him from the dead, lives on the inside, he will quicken, cause to live, right, your mortal body. 
I, we ought to just, it, it ought to not even take much revelation to get that. Right? So when he says, you are the fountain of life, right? I mean, you've got to think, praise God, it's like if I swallowed a whole bunch of nuclear isotopes. I mean, every cell and fiber of my being is going to be affected. Right? But we swallowed something a lot more powerful than a radioactive isotope. I don't understand how, how any of this could be, even be sick. I really don't. You think about that. The very same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is living on the inside of me. And I just like to imagine the imminent, eternal, life-giving, resurrection, power of God pulsing into my liver, into my pancreas, into my organs, into every cell and fiber of my being. Sickness and disease does not have a chance in me. And it shouldn't have a chance in you. Preaching real good already. Hallelujah. Glory to God. So, see, friends, the presence of God in the believer is a Bible and theological fact. But it's not so much an experiential fact. And this is the, this is the question and the dilemma we want to maybe tackle. Praise God. How could this presence I've just described come into your very being into the very being of someone in the new birth, and it have no visible effect on the life. I don't understand how that's possible. But it is. Because the church of the Lord Jesus Christ today is full of dead, dry, defeated, sick, poor, depressed, weak believers. Who, who signify absolutely no daily, ongoing, inner benefit and effect of the Shekinah glory of God moving on the inside of their being. And what a tragedy it is that the presence of God that for thousands of years was shut up and inaccessible behind that veil is now still shut up in Christians... Yeah behind the veil of their unrenewed mind and their flesh. Praise God. The Bible speaks much about the amazing, life-changing benefits of the presence of God. We read in Psalm 1611 that in His presence there is fullness of joy. Come on, fullness of joy. Praise God. It is not okay for you to not be okay every day of your life. It's just not okay. It's not okay for uh, everyone around you to have to be propping you up all the time. You need to get in God's presence and get some joy on you. <laughs> Hallelujah. Come on, and you're in the corporate presence of God. Let, let some joy fall on you. It's like Doc, my, my spiritual father used to say, you need to let... You know, send a memo to your face that you're born again. Yeah. <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen. You know, you remember Dr. Dufresne, how he'd say, some of you look like you've been sucking on a pickle for 30 years. <laughs> right? Hallelujah. Glory to God. It is, says in that verse that in His presence there are pleasures evermore. Yeah. 
We read tonight that the ways of life are made known in His presence. We experience the abundance of God's provision in every area of our life. When we come into His presence, we are in a place where every single need is met. I'm lonely, I don't have any friends. Get in His presence. I wonder who Joseph fellowshiped with all those years in prison. Amen. Praise God, I am never alone. I am never alone. I am never alone. It sometimes may feel like I'm alone, but I am never alone. You study His presence, you will find that His presence is a place of refuge. The psalmist will tell you that, right? He is our pavilion. He is our high tower. He is our thick wall, right? What is a refuge? A refuge is a place of safety. It is a place of shelter and protection. So you you know about this in our country, even in our state here. Over in Illinois, we have wildlife refuges, right? In other words, we have designated territory and places and a habitat. And for those animals, those living creatures, those birds that dwell there, can't hunt them there. You can't prey upon them there. You can't, you can't burn the tree. You can't cut the trees down. You can't take their uh, hovels away. You can't take their dens away. You've got to leave. They are a, this is a protected place. And as long as these animals stay in this place, glory to God, they are in a place of safety. They are in a place of provision. There is an authority watching out for their welfare. And God's presence is a refuge. Hallelujah. If you're scared... Get into His presence. Because what you're scared of can't find you there. If you've got an enemy, get into His presence. Because the enemy can't get you there. Hallelujah. Oh, glory to God. Many people flee to the United States seeking asylum. Seeking refuge. Amen. Glory to God. They're, they're, they're seeking a, a way uh, uh, to escape the danger that they're facing. Amen? You'll find, go to Acts chapter number 3 real quick. You'll find that the uh, presence of God is a refreshing place. A refreshing place. In Acts chapter 13, or not 13, 3 and verse 19, I want to read this to you in the Amplified. And I believe it's Peter, he's preaching. And so he says, so repent, change your mind and purpose, turn around and return to God, that your sins may be erased, blotted out, wiped clean. That times of refreshing, of recovering from the effects of heat. This picture is someone who's been in their circumstances, whatever they've been going through, it's like, man, they got dropped out in the middle of the Sahara Desert about 45 miles out, and they've walked and they fought the dunes and the weather and the predators and the, the lack of water and the effects of the heat. <laughs> but they finally make it and they show up to the Motel 6 where they left the light on for you. <laughs> right? And so the presence of God is a place of recovery. It is a place of refreshing to recover from the effects of your circumstances, of the pressure that you've been under. It says, of reviving with fresh air. Where does this come from? 
It says it comes from the presence of the Lord. And we just keep talking, i gotta get, I got to get somewhere. But uh, praise God, you know, we could carry and we ought to carry such a presence about us that sinners get convicted. That people get healed. That demonic power on people around us flee away. They're just driven out by the presence of God that we carry. Right? We are a mobile, we are a tiny house. I mean, we are a mobile temple. We are a temple on the move. And we're taking the temple to school and the temple of God to the workplace and the temple of God into our homes, into our church, and where the presence of God is. Come on, there ought to be a different atmosphere. There ought to be a different atmosphere when we show up. Amen? In other words, we haven't got this revelation. We're whining about the sinner we got to work with. No, you ought to be influenced. You ought to be affecting them. You ought to be unmoved by them. The presence of God ought to be so thick on you. Right? Praise God. And, uh, you know, I, I, just, I just had this. I, I, you know, I'm looking for more of this, but I'll just tell you about a recent instance just yesterday. Uh, I've got to replace two, two windows in my house that had trouble. And so uh, I had a, a, a guy out, and uh, he was going to talk to me about windows and do measurements, and I had some water damage around the bottom of two of them, so he's going to fix all that up for me. And we did, he came in, he's doing measurements. We're talking nothing but windows, nothing but business, nothing but prices, nothing but warranties and shop stuff. And then as we get through this, all of a sudden he goes, you're a pastor, aren't you? And I went, well, yeah, you... You heard, you heard me, you, you saw me, you online, you bumped into me in small town. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Oh, no. I don't know who you are. Uh-huh. I said, well, I am a pastor. I said, that's, that's pretty perceptive of you. How do you? He goes, well, I could just tell it. Uh-huh. My dad's apostolic preacher, uh-huh. Pentecostal preacher. And he said, I don't know you from anybody, but I know how a pastor talk. I know how they carry their words. I know how they command a room. I know how, and in your delivery, and I can just tell him in the presence of a pastor. Wow. That's pretty perceptive. But I took it as a compliment to me that I didn't diss my office. Right? Right? So many of us, we do that. We, we hurt our witness by the way we act when we're not in church. We think... We only got to act Christian at church, but you know, nobody's really, no, people are paying attention. People are paying attention. Hallelujah. Well, see, there is this, this, you know, we talked about, we've talked about Smith Wigglesworth so many times, right? About he, he'd step on a train, people fall down under conviction, start repenting. He didn't say anything. He carried, it wasn't even, it was, he's just the temple. But his life is emanating holiness, conviction, power. Well, guys, where is that in our life? Where is that in the church today? There's an individual application of the presence of God, right? But where is the, and I'm not talking about, remember I said the presence of God in you and I and every saved Christian is a Bible theological fact. But the manifested presence of God is a rare thing. 
So going forward tonight, I'm t- when I say the presence of God, I'm, talking about, I'm not talking about a theological thing. I'm talking about the experience, the manifestation of this God we carry around on the inside of us. How come we're not having more? More of the presence of God in our individual life. More of this, you, you get the sense in the spirit of what I've been saying, right? Well, I got one word for you. A one word answer. And it's sin. Sin. Sin is the reason. And, uh, you know, I, I'm sorry to tell you, brother and sister, but, you know, you and I, all of us, the church at large, we're not going to have this move of God. We're not going to have this move of the Spirit until we talk about sin. Till we deal with sin. Well, what is sin? Sin... When you study it, it simply means to miss the mark. That's what it means, to miss the mark. In other words, there's a standard out there, there's a bullseye, right? And anything out of that bullseye, you miss the mark. And so even if you aim and you miss, you miss the mark. The word sin means to transgress. It means to transgress. It means to disobey. It means to rebel. It means to violate the law of God in spirit or in letter. Amen. I, I, want, I, I got something I want to show you. Y'all with me all right? Yes. Go over to the book of Genesis chapter 3. And you guys have that picture for me ready I asked for. I'm going to ask for that in a, in a few minutes. And when we live a lifestyle of sin, we are born again, thank God. And thank God for the provision that God has made in the blood of His Son for our sin. But there is a prevailing thought in the body of Christ today that grace covers all regardless. And what we don't realize is that sin is still a problem. Sin is still a problem. And in this church, in your life maybe, in the body of Christ, people are too far too okay and permissive in their own lives when it comes to sin. And they do it with impunity, as if it doesn't matter, uh, we're just, it, as if God winks at it, as if God doesn't see. And it's a deception. And it's costing us the manifestation of God's might and His power and His glory. Amen. So yes, in a nutshell, the rest of my time, I'm going to try to get over to you. Stop sinning. Stop being okay disobeying the Word. For whatever justification or reason. Amen? Okay, praise God. So let's, we're going to take a moment and look at the problem of sin. Look in Genesis chapter 3, verse 7 and 8. In Genesis 3, 7 and 8 it says, uh, And the eyes of them both were open, Adam and Eve, and they knew that they were naked. Now why did they know that all of a sudden? Because they sinned, right? And they they sewed fig leaves together, and they made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. That's a tragedy. I said, that's a tragedy. Now they're running from, hiding from, 
the greatest blessing and treasure they ever had in their life was the presence of God in manifestation in their midst. And now they're hiding from it. You know why a lot of our churches are empty or half empty? It's because of sin. And any church that's got the presence of God at all makes them real uncomfortable. And so they're hiding. They're hiding in football. They're hiding in children's sports. They're hiding in hobbies and activities and grass and chores and extra jobs and excuses. Amen. But they are living way are separated from God because of the sin in their life. Sin separates you from God. Notice, right? And so notice they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And, uh, you know, of course, they were, they were removed. I, didn't, I just put those two scriptures on my notes here. But you understand that if you remember that chapter, God expelled them. He judged them. A curse came upon them. They lost that glory. They lost that presence of God. And they were thrust out of the garden. And an angel... Now, I'm going to take you on a little rabbit trail, but you just stay with me, okay? God thrust them out and He set an angel on the eastern gate into the garden. And He sent them out into the world in an easterly direction. So if, there, if there's a gate at the garden and the gate is on the east and there's an angel guarding it so they can't back, get back in, they're good, they'd have to face west to get back into where God was. Just hold that in your thought, right? All right. Amen. Go to Genesis chapter 4. In Genesis chapter 4, one generation later, we find out, uh, we look at Cain's experience with sin. Cain committed the first murder. He killed his own brother. Amen. And it says in Cain, notice what it says in verse 16, Cain went out from the presence of the Lord. In other words, he had the presence of the Lord. The presence of the Lord was there. But he's now judged because of his sin. And he's leaving the presence of God behind. And he goes to dwell in the land of Nod. Not Nod, it's Nod is how you pronounce it. And if you look up the meaning of the word Nod, which I did today, it means a vagrant or vagrancy. So he went off to live an unclean, filthy, vagrant life of sin, void of the presence of God. And notice it says on the east of Eden, he had to go east to do that. Right? Okay. Now, just in your thinking over in Genesis chapter 13 is the reference if you want to write it down. We have another example of Lot. And in Lot, uh, remember that there was a strife that came because between the herdsmen. And Lot thought this would be a good time to disconnect. You know, anytime you think you found a good time to disconnect, you better arrest yourself. Because there is never a good time to disconnect from your man of God. Amen. Hello. You, things will never be so good and so right and so safe in your life that it's good to disconnect from your man of God. That's right. That's right. Lot thought, I got enough cows, I got enough expertise, I, I've been around uh, Uncle Abe enough to know how to make this happen for myself. This could be a good time, I'm just going to separate. Yeah. And so he did. In Genesis 13, he left his man of God. And uh, Abraham says, look, you could look to any direction, north, south, east, or west. You guess what direction he chose? He, he went towards east. You know what was east? The land of Sodom and Gomorrah. So he left 
the will of God, the presence of God, the blessing of God, His man of God, and went east towards sin. Didn't he? Amen. And uh, praise God, it's all tragic because of the loss of the plan of God and the presence of God in their life. Are you with me? Now, all these people I just told you, they lost and left the presence of God. Now, why? They, why did they lose the presence of God, the blessing of God? Because they sinned. Adam and Eve lost the presence of God because they sinned. Cain lost the presence of God because he sinned. Lot lost everything in the presence of God and the blessing of God in his life because he sinned. And not only did they sin a sin, they took off in a direction. Right? You see, you sin one time, you better get it corrected right then. Because if you don't, you're going to find yourself with some momentum heading a direction away from everything good and everything right and everything that's ever going to bless your life. And in the Bible, the Bible's got a type and a shadow and a lesson and a symbol for that, and it's called East. So if you want to leave the presence of God, all you got to do is sin. And do it enough that your life takes on a direction. And listen, we don't really know the fate later on of Adam and Eve. We know what the kind of life that Cain went out to live. He lived a fugitive life, a hideaway life, void of the blessing and the presence of God. He lived a homeless, dirty, vagrant type of life. Lot, we know what happened to him too. Yeah, he offered up his... He offered up his virgin girls. I, can't, I got two virgin girls. I can't imagine, you know, some guy knocking on my door, real pervert. I would have pulled out my shotgun. I would not have offered my virgin girls to these perverts. But that's what he did. I would have blown them away. I would have pumped them three times and boom. I mean, that's what I would have done. I'm not going to offer my virgin daughters for you to... That, that's what he did. Per, how did his mind get so dark and evil and twisted and perverted? Because he sinned. He sinned. Listen, sin's going to take you where you don't want to go. It's going to make you pay a lot more than you want to pay. And it's going to make you stay a lot longer than you want to stay. And it's costing the church of Jesus Christ the, the ability. See, God's presence is in us, but it's shut up behind the veil of sin and compromise and disobedience and unclean living, yes, in spirit-filled churches just like ours, where people go home and they look at uh, pornography and they watch rated R movies and they listen to ungodly secular music and they gossip about everyone and they tell lies and they have sex outside of marriage. They don't bring their supply to the local church, they rob God, and you ask them, they, they, they just tell you how much they love Jesus, and how much everything's okay, and how much they just love God, and have just praise God, oh hallelujah. I'm really tired of it. I'm tired of the deception. I'm tired of the compromise. I'm tired of church as usual. I'm tired of laying hands on empty heads. I'm not talking about you. I'm just talking about, I'm talking about people who, you, you know, there's no fire, there's no reception, there's no glory, there's no movement. I'm tired of things that I've put up with in my own life. Tired of it. 
I'm not okay with it. Repeating the stumbling over the same thing over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. Aren't you? I can tell you that about myself. Tired of it. And God loves us and He's not mad at us, but see, He wants us to go somewhere. That we want, we, you know, I'm not here, obviously, I'm not here trying to gather numbers. Amen. I, we're supposed to go somewhere yeah. in God. You know, if you parents, you see your children sin, you're going to wink at that and hope that they get that figured out. You better parent them. I've seen parents, I just watch, I'm with you all the time, I see parents being way too passive with their children. Way too passive, way too permissive. And then they end up, I'm, I'm consoling, crying parents because their children are off in deep, deep trouble. Where were you? Where was your belt? Where was your rod? Where was your voice of correction? Too busy flipping through DVR to pay attention to what's going on on your kids' devices. I didn't plan on any of this, but come on. We're talking about the presence of God and the move of the Spirit. <laughs> I praise God. Amen. So here's what I want you to see. When you study East in the Bible, like we just gave you a few examples, you're going to see that East is a symbol of sin and of turning your back on the presence of God and taking your life in a direction toward darkness. You think about, I mean, that's Lot sinned and went east. You know, Cain sinned and went east. And Adam and Eve sinned and they were thrust out. You got that picture ready? You know, when God brought His children out, He gave them specific instructions about how to build a replica tabernacle, a meeting, a place where they could meet with God. And you know where that replica is based on? It's a replica based on the real tabernacle in heaven. All right, and we're familiar with this, right? There is this outer court area that they would set up an outer fence. It's just an outer fence, right? And that's called the kind of the outer court. And then they hear it's called the holy place. Outer court, holy place. Right? And then you have the holy of holies. But notice the north, south, east, west. Every time, no matter where they were. Remember, this was a mobile tent. They would break it down. They would pick it up. They would follow the presence of God. And when the presence of God decided to stand still, they made camp wherever the presence of God decided to stop moving. That's where they, right? And so they would get all their tent poles out and all the fabric out and all the instruments and they would set up the tent of meeting. You with me? Every time, every time, every time they set it up, right? The gate, the entrance was eastward facing, right? So the entrance faced to the east. You know what that means? To go in, to go in, to go from the outer, to take a step towards God, to go to the outer court or to the holy place, and then into the Holy of Holies, where the Shekinah, the glory of God was, shut up with the Ark of the Covenant, where no one could go back then except a high priest once per year to atone for the, his own sins and the sins of the people for a whole year, right? You had to go west. When that high priest got done, if he was still alive, I'm deadly serious about that, if he was still alive, he would have to turn 
to leave the presence of God, he would have to put his back to the west and he would have to go east. Yeah. In the temple, in the, in the walled city of Jerusalem today, it's a squared walled city and they have gates on every side. They have, Scott could tell me if I'm wrong, they have one side of the gate walled up. It's been walled up for centuries, hundreds of years. The Muslims and the Byzantines and the Turks and they all did it. And you know which one? The eastern gate. Why? Because of what the prophecies say. That when the Messiah returns, He will come from the east, which means what? He's heading west. And He's going to come through that eastern gate into the city, meaning He's heading a westerly direction. God is trying to tell us something. The way into the presence of God is west. And that symbolizes what? The way into the presence of God is holiness. Holiness. Cleanness. Yes, I said it in a modern church. Holiness. Cleanness, purity, righteousness. That has to be the direction if you want to move closer to having to being in a place where the presence of God can be more real to you and manifest to you. Are you with me? How does our day begin? The sun, S-U-N, which is a biblical symbol of the S-O-N. The light of the world. It starts in the east. But if we call the sun, the S-O-N, symbolized by the S-U-N, that it's a moving presence. In what direction is it going? West. So if you're going to follow God and if you're going to be with God's movement, you've got to be in a westerly heading. Are you getting this? I don't do too much type and shadow preaching. My dad loves it. He'd be real proud of me. <laughs> but God is trying to tell us something. Amen. Did you know, Kamal, that the word repent, the word repent, you know what it means? It does not mean to be sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. But I'm going to keep doing it. Really sorry. I'm going to keep doing it. No, you haven't repented. You might be sorry, but the word repent does not mean sorry. The word repent means to be so sorrowful that you decide definitely to change your mind. And this is what the word repent means. To change direction. Change direction. Change direction. I want to ask you, believer, what, are you headed east today or are you headed west? Is your life getting cleaner? Or are you living as a vagrant? Keeping the presence of God on the inside, the glory that would bring your co-workers to conviction, that would bring heaven and sweetness into your household, that would spill over and bless your children with love and joy and peace and healing and prosperity in your home. What are you bringing into the church family? What would you bring in with you tonight? Anger and strife and frustration and bitterness and a lifestyle of disobedience and compromise and, oh, I don't take all that and I'm just treading water. What direction are you heading? Because if you want the presence of God manifest in your life, 
The picture all throughout the Old Testament is you got to put your back to the east. Right? Some of you need to make some decisions thinking about some, some specific things. Let the Holy Ghost deal with you. And I'm not mad at anybody. I'm not thinking about anybody in spe- specific. I'm just preaching what God told me to preach. Right? We need to put our back to the east, to darkness and to the old life of sin. And we need to set our eyes on the Holy of Holies. And we need to head west. It's very interesting when we bought this building, this property, when we were searching for properties, we, we got down to two multi-acre properties. And uh, one property was this property, obviously, on the west. And the other property was a 20-acre property on the east side of town, out towards on Highway 45. And listen, I don't care what side of town you live on, praise God, I'm just, come on, don't get squirrely on me. But um, we were weighing these two properties and we were just, you know, doing some talking about it. And our real estate broker was there and he said, well, I don't know if this would help you, but I just came back from a national Coldwell Banker commercial real estate conference where representatives from every market and all around the country were there. And one of the things that that we have found in our studies is that it doesn't matter what the location is. It doesn't matter if you're talking about a major city. It doesn't matter if you're talking about a very small town. It doesn't matter what the geography is. It doesn't matter if there's mountains there. It doesn't matter if it's a desert. It doesn't matter if it's a river. It doesn't matter what's there geographically, what kind of barriers. 80% of all new growth and new development in the United States in every community is westward. He said, we don't... I said, well, there's got to be a reason. He said, literally, if there's a mountain on the west, they will go over the mountain to keep going west. (laughs) When you got free land going east, they will push west. I said, well, what's the deal? He said, the best we could figure, you know, all of our major professionals, is that there is still something in the heart of Americans, go west, young man. Now you think about how, now I believe God was behind the birth of our nation, not that we did everything right. We did a lot of horrible things to Native Americans and African Americans and all kinds of things, right? Again, don't get offended. Amen. Amen. But God birthed this nation. Where did we land? Where did we land as pioneers? Did we land on the east coast or the west coast? Come on, did we land on the east coast and go west? We sure did. Are we getting it yet? Okay, well, praise God. Enough of the type in the shadow then. What? See, if we want to have more of the presence of God, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. I think we'll close there. More of the presence of God in our life and in our church, hallelujah, and really as for the body of Christ at large, we're going to have to make sure our lives are heading the right direction. Amen. Praise God. Well, I got grace. Well, you know I do too. And thank God for the grace of God. <laughs> thank God for the grace of God. But let me ask you something. Where was the grace of God when Ananias and Sapphira, who were born again and presumably spirit-filled, lied to Peter and lied to the Holy Ghost? Where was grace then when they fell dead? 
Where was grace for them? I'll tell you where. There was grace. They didn't die and go to hell. They just lost their earthly life. But they lied to their man of God and they lied to the Holy Ghost. And in the midst of that presence that was there and in the midst of that revival, they dropped dead. Where was grace? Where was God's grace when Paul took a Corinthian man who was a member of a very spiritual and a carnal church at the same time, but a bona fide, born again, presumably tongue-talking, spirit-filled man who was committing sexual immorality and he knew it and the church knew it and he wouldn't repent. Where was the grace of God when Paul turned him over to the devil? For the destruction of his flesh. Where was the grace of God there? It was the grace of God in manifestation that turned him over to the devil in the hopes that by the destroying of his flesh, it would wake him up to make him realize this ain't okay. This ain't okay. Now that may not look like the grace you've heard preached out there on Hallmark cards and by preachers with no backbone, but that's the grace of God in a man's life who won't repent. He's going to judge him. He's going to turn him over to the devil. And it won't be God, but it'll be the devil that puts the worst thing on him. Right? Some people are sick because they're sinning. That's not a real popular thought either. But Jesus walked up to a man he healed. To the, one, to the man with the pool of Siloam. He was sick 38 years. And he found him in the temple. Patched him on the shoulder and said, Oh, by the way, you better stop sinning. Lest the worst thing come on you. You know what that is? That's the grace of Jesus. That's the grace of Jesus warning him. Amen? Hallelujah. Look with me here. You know, I don't say these things to make you mad. I don't say these things because I'm mad. But I say these things unapologetically to warn you that if you sin knowingly and repeatedly and you don't go to the Father, He's made provision for you and me when we sin. He, thank God, that's grace. When we sin, there's provision for that sin. But you know what he said? You better come to him and you better tell it. You better tell it. You better come to him and say, I sinned. I have sinned. I told a lie. I, I slept around. I have not been a good believer. I have not been a help to my pastor. I have not read my Bible. Whatever it is, I have disobeyed my... You know, and I get this all the time. This, one of these young men I was talking to, he said, oh, you know what? i got to call my life. I've been running from it for many years. And he didn't even... He knew it. Didn't mind telling me about it. And didn't act really shook, shook up about it. He knows he's got a call. Been running from it for many years. Didn't mind telling me about it. Where's the godly sorrow? Where's the shame? Where's the... That's going to catch up with you, dude, one day. See, you're on, a, you're on a path you ought not be on. Your life's going a direction. And there is a way that seems right unto a man, but the end thereof is death. And I'm going to tell you, God loves you, and there's provision, and there's blood, and there's great mercy. But I tell you what, I don't care how much I love you, or God loves you, you keep on sinning, the devil's going to get you. He's going to get your mind. He's going to get your health. He's going to get your money. He's going to get your marriage. He's going to get your kids, or he might get all of the above. And you won't have joy unspeakable and full of glory. And you won't have the fullness of joy 
And you'll wonder when we're all rolling around drunk on the Holy Ghost and hanging from the chandeliers under the power of God, how come you're dead and dry? You don't feel nothing. You can't sense His presence. You hadn't heard from God in 10 years. Tell you what, if I hadn't heard God's voice in, if I don't hear from God, I don't like it. I don't like it when my father has gone silent. It bothers me. It grieves me on the inside. It makes me nervous. I don't like it. I just don't get some folks. Praise the Lord. All right, I'm trying to read this scripture. So here, Paul, and he's writing to Christians. Don't let that escape you, right? Uh, In verse 14, he says, Do not be unequally yoked together with an unbeliever, with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion has light with darkness? What's the answer to that question? None. Listen, we ought to, you know what, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it, Father. My wife might not like it. Jennifer might not like it, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to buy everyone a Starbucks that will do the homework. I want you to read 1 and 2 Timothy between now and next Wednesday. And every time there's a command, an instruction, or a standard given, I want you to write it on a piece of paper, and I want, to ask, I want you to ask yourself, are you doing that right now today in your life or not? 1 and 2 Timothy. And if you have a list on a piece of paper, I won't take it and read it, but if you can show it to me and you can show me you did your homework, I'll buy you a Starbucks. If you don't like Starbucks, I'll, like you, I'll buy you the coffee you like. Then it gets serious. There's a lot of people, they'll leave. They'll leave tonight and they'll go, oh, well, Pastor was really on it today. And then it'll go on, forget about it. Amen. How much fellowship should light have with darkness, Brother Kamal? What's the answer to that? Is 5% okay? 5% fellowship. That's okay. I'm doing a lot better than most Christians. Just 5%? No, none. 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 Well, see, on scriptures like this, you find them in Timothy. How much fellowship are you having with darkness? Music, magazines, people, places, locations, forms of entertainment, words you speak, people you hang out with, places you go. What should I do? Don't be, just repent. Just repent. I'll say, oh my God, Father, forgive me. he go, I do, I forgive you. See, that's grace. That's grace. See, there's forgiveness. Thank God there's forgiveness. Praise God forevermore. Okay, where were we? Verse number 14, now 15. What concord... Has Christ with Belial a false god? None. Or what part has the believer with an infidel? Well, I heard you're hanging out with somebody new. Yeah. Yeah, he's my boyfriend. Hmm, really? What church he go to? He's between churches right now. I notice he doesn't come with you. He only drinks a little bit. 
He's really sweet though. Jesus ain't playing. He's not happy with that. But pastor, I just can't find a good godly boy. You little sweet thing, you. You ain't got no faith. Ain't got no faith. God can deliver His prophet to a city He don't want to go to in the belly of a whale, but He can't find you a godly boy? Please. (laughs) I really wasn't planning this, but I'm not apologizing either. What agreement has the temple of God... Oh, that's you. That's me, right? What agreement has the temple of God with idols like sports, football, and hunting stands on Sunday mornings during church time? Brother Russell manages to get in his church stand before church, after church, all around church, but still be at church. I don't, and he lives in Marshall County. So listen, if he can do it, But I only got so many days, I got to get a deer. See, you ain't got no faith either. (laughs) God who made all the creatures knows where they all are. He can't bring you a buck on a day. You got to rob God and miss the presence of God and neglect church. (laughs) I'm telling you. But notice what he said. He says, uh, For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them. Now listen, think about this. This is God's promise. I will dwell in them. And I will walk in them. Can you, again, use your imagination. God. Talk about God. I didn't even an angel. One of his angels I just read wiped out 185,000 Assyrian soldiers in one night. That's just an angel. But you got God, oh my God, God walking in. Think about what that might look like in your life. I will walk in them. I will be their God. And they will be my people. In the light of this, he says, Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, says the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. And I will be a father unto you. See, He is our Father. Why is He saying this? Isn't He my Father already? Yes, but what Paul is saying, you're not experiencing the fatherhood of God. He's a father by Bible theological fact. But to you, you're not experiencing the fatherhood of God because of sin. Amen. If we will come out. And listen, we know that that some groups of Christians over time have taken this sort of to an extreme where they have whole communities and they don't send their kids and they're just totally... That's not what God means. That's taking that to a radical extreme, right? But he's saying, listen, live, live in the world, but live different than the world. Don't be like them. Don't think like them. Don't act like them. Don't talk like them. 
Come out. Separate yourself from their thinking and their habits and their lifestyles and their ways of doing things and really be my people. Be my children. And I will live big on And I'm going to be your father. I'm going to be your God. And you're going to be my peeps. Amen. <laughs> and I'm out of time, but I'm telling you what, you go back and study Exodus. Moses said, I ain't going nowhere if you don't go with me. <laughs> I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to stay right here unless you go with me. And he said, you said I found grace in your sight. So if I found grace or favor in your sight, then you got to go with me. And God did. And he was with them. And listen, one night, you know, as they fled Egypt, they found the, you know, they were up at the banks of the Red Sea. And here come the Egyptian army, right? Breathing down their neck. Man, they're rip-roaring and they're upset and they're going to kill them. And you know what it says? The presence of the power of God caused the waters to heap up on one side. Right? As Moses held his little wooden stick out there. <laughs> I'm telling you, God, if you'll just do a little thing, God will do a big thing. But what was happening between them and the enemy coming up behind them, it says that the presence of God moved and positioned himself between his people over here and the enemy over there. And if you read that passage carefully, it says to the enemy, he was a dark and anonymous cloud of judgment. But to his people, that very same present was a warmth and an assurance. See that the presence of God in your life will warm you and bless you and refresh you and protect you and comfort you. And at the same time, any one of your enemies, it will be a power of judgment and darkness and protection because you belong to Him. And He is going to protect you. He is our front and our rear guard. But we've got to get the presence of God moving, manifested. Manifested in our life. Right? Amen. Praise God. Come on, praise God. We need to judge ourselves. I'm not doing this time because I did it once. Years ago, I, pre I preached this scripture in 2 Chronicles or uh, Corinthians about separation. And I said, I know y'all got ungodly stuff. And I'm going to put a plastic brand new trash can out here in front of the church. And I want you to bring all your ungodly books and magazines and movies and stuff. And, and you just throw it in there. Nobody's looking. Throw it in there. And I'm going to take it out back. And I'm going to burn it. And I let that go for about two weeks. You know what was in there? At no one put a single item in there. Liar, liar, pants on fire. And in this little intimate group we have here tonight, I guarantee you got issues, because I have a few. God's looking for a heart that just says, don't be okay with sin in your life. Confess it to me, he said, and I am faithful and just, I will forgive you of all your sins and I will cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Amen? Man, I blew it this week even. Now, I don't mean I'm... Don't go out there and think I've cheated on my wife or drank a beer or nothing. I didn't do anything like that. 
But I got under pressure for a moment and I said things I wish I hadn't said, unbelieving, fear-driven things that just irked me. And I let her fly, let her fly in front of my wife. And I immediately felt like a dead, rotten dog. And I gathered myself and swallowed my pride and found my wife and went and apologized. Asked her to forgive me. Got out on my driveway and asked God to forgive me. And you know what he did? He said, I forgive you. Let's go on. Don't do that again. And see, then it's over. It's over. It's not about never missing it. It's not about never, it's not about never making a mistake. Good luck with that. You hear me? You can stand up on your feet. It's about don't. Don't be okay with what you did. Don't be okay with not living your life in agreement with the Word in any area. Amen? Amen. Amen. Praise God. Father, (laughs) hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. Thank you, Father. This is, God, if if the church would really hear it, this is what love sounds like. It's what having a pastor is like. A real one. Father, oh Father, cleanse your church. Cleanse this church. Cleanse me and all of us of all uncleanness. Open up our eyes that we might see, Father. And for everyone in this room, everyone that will listen or watch later, everyone out there listening and watching now, Whose the, the direction of their life is east. They got their back to the presence of God and they're heading towards sin and darkness. God, I pray that you would arrest them, give them the power and the courage to turn their back on that sin, and to set their eyes on the glory, on the holy of holies, on that inner sanctum of the throne of God where the door is open and we are welcome. And that God, that we would press that we would press toward right living, holy living, not in our own works of flesh, but living out of that divine grace that enables us to live a holy and a clean life. Father, I thank You for the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed, that washes us tonight and cleanses us from all sin. That any door of separation and broken fellowship would be mended and fixed and repaired right now. That the breach between you and us, Father, all the new birth, we're never not your children, but that fellowship can be broken. That God, through our heartfelt repentance right now, you see our hearts and you hear our words even in a whisper. God, that you restore the the experience of your fatherhood and your intimate presence to every person. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Father, we pray that you would forgive every idle and unproductive word we've ever spoken in doubt, fear, unbelief, worry, any unclean word that has escaped our lips. Forgive us. Cleanse us. Cleanse us of the sin of the eyes, the pride of life, all of those things that are just worldly. That we would meet your church, a church without spot and without blemish. And that God, oh God, 
that we would have the light and shining light of your glory and presence manifest in our homes, in our lives, in our church in a greater way than we've ever known heretofore. This is our prayer. We pray it and we ask it in the name of Jesus. And we leave here with joy, we leave here with peace, and without any sense of guilt or condemnation, though we have been challenged. We know it is for our good because you love us and you're looking out for us. And we thank you, Father, for all of this in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you. Don't forget your homework. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. And we'll see you down the road here.